0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today I am interviewing the leading expert on conditioning in the entire world. And I am not exaggerating with this. We got Joel Jamison on the podcast today. Uh, He calls himself a conditioning and performance architect. He is the founder of Morpheus Recovery and Eight Weeks Out, as well as the BioForce Conditioning Coach Certification. All of those are going to be linked in the show notes so you can check them out as well as his Instagram because he puts out a ton of content specific to conditioning. Um, and you can find him on Instagram just at Coach Joel Jameson. So I'll put that in the description. Make sure if you enjoy what you're about to hear with this podcast, post it on your story, tag him, tag me. We want to thank you for listening. We want to share it on your uh, on our story as well. Um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this podcast because it's a it's a topic we haven't dug this deep into in a long time. I've done podcast about aerobic conditioning. I've talked about conditioning off and on. I've talked about cardio, but we've never had a expert come on. Um, and when I say expert, I mean like literally he is the expert. He works with the top MMA pros. He has the best app and heart rate variability recording software. He was one of the first guys to ever create it. In fact, when he originally created BioForce, it was called, um, I'm sorry, it was called BioForce HRV, and now it's called Morpheus, and we talk about why he made that switch in the podcast, but back when it was uh, BioForce HRV, we actually tested it at the gym I worked at, so we were his beta coaches to actually use these heart rate monitors and the actual app software with our clients and get a readiness score of stress in the morning so we could determine exactly how we should plan their training per day per week based on their stress levels and recovery throughout the week. Uh, So it's a really, really cool tool. And we dive into why that's so important. Um, And I mean, we can boil that down into one simple statement. And it's just that if you cannot recover from what you're doing, you cannot adapt to what you're doing. And if you can't adapt, you're not getting the results because we do things in the gym to get a result period. But if you cannot recover from what you're doing, you are not going to get that result because adaptation just does not take place. And that's what he is literally obsessed with, conditioning, recovery, stress management, and tracking these data points. So you're going to listen in. You're going to learn a ton. We're going to say a lot of big words. We're going to dive into kind of like aerobic conditioning 101 or energy systems 101 and also dive into what he's delivering for the coaching industry that is really enhancing client, athlete, and coaching experience. So uh, once again, this is coach Joel Jameson. So without any further ado, let's get into this interview with the one and only conditioning expert in the world, Joel Jameson. All right, Joel, I'm excited to have you on, man, just because it's been a long time since I've seen you or been able to talk to you. And uh, your conditioning book, MMA Ultimate MMA Conditioning, was like one of the very first books I ever read to learn about aerobic training versus anaerobic training, just conditioning in general from a scientific method outside of just burning calories with cardio you know and i recommend yep. the book all the time and it's funny because so many people respond to me like well i don't train fighters i'm like i know just fucking read the book just trust me um so i'm excited to dive into this so we can really teach people why this stuff is so important but before we do uh just to give background for the for the people listening why conditioning like what was the thing that like set you down this path and in kind of on a trajectory of being I mean, essentially the most sought out conditioning coach there is. You're one of the top guys in the world that does this. What was the thing that made you want to go that route out of all routes?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. If you would have told me when I first got into this, this side of the game that I'd be the conditioning guy, I would have told you you're, you're crazy because I started out like most strength coaches on the strength side. I worked at the University of Washington with a guy named Bill Gillespie, who's a, I think, seven or 800 pound, maybe bench pressure these days. I was into the West side barbell, you know, strength, power, side of things. And that was really just, you know, what I did and what I knew and what I was comfortable with and what I liked doing. And then kind of fate intervened 2003, I opened up my gym and zone athletics. And it happened to be next to a place called AMC Pancration, which I didn't know at the time, but it was basically that the number one MMA gym really in the world with a guy, named Matt Hume, who's the best MMA coach you know, of all time, in my opinion. And because of that, you know, very early on, within a few months, I had guys coming over and saying, Hey, can you train me for a K one fight? Uh, you know, the first guys I'm Ivan Salivari. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I, Honestly, I didn't really know much about what K1 was. It was kickboxing, but I didn't really know that at the time. I had no background in MMA or combat sports. I didn't wrestle. So I didn't know a whole lot about it. And so the first thing I did, of course, is the they, driving comes over and I, you know, I'm looking at his strength, right? I'm a strength guy. So I'm looking at his squat. I mean, he can't squat shit. I don't think I can do two pull-ups. Can't bench press, you know, like his body weight at all. Like he just looks super weak to me. I'm like, this is going to be easy. I just got to get this guy really strong and I'm going to look like a genius. Right. So you know, we started lifting a bunch of weights and doing some of the things. And then I'm like, I need to learn a little bit more about this. And I'm going to go over and kind of understand more of the training. So I know what's, what's going on. And I, and I jump in and he's like, Hey, you want to, you want to roll? You want to train with me? I'm like, okay. you know, like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'll give it a shot. You know? And, and literally in my, the funny thing is in my brain, I wish I could go back and, and take a video of this, but I'm like, he's so damn weak. Like I'm going to overpower this guy. And he's going to not, not, not know what happened to him. Right. Like I literally think this uh, and I, you know, and I'm I'm stronger than him by a landslide. You know, I was probably benching 400 and squatting five. Like I was, you know, reasonably strong and outweighed him by like 50 pounds. I mean, I manhandled him for like 10 seconds, and then I got choked out and beat the hell out of him the next two to three minutes straight. And I I just was destroyed. And it was just, you know, it was an eye-opening moment where I was like, all the strength in the world did me absolutely no good because I couldn't maintain it for more than a few seconds. relative to him. You know, and it, he was overpowering me and making me feel like I was completely helpless within 30 seconds, you know. So it, it really kind of came down to that, just like, holy shit, there's, there's this huge part of fitness that I don't understand. And conditioning was it. You know, I, I played football and I understood just, hey, run gassers, right? Like the end of practice, that's what conditioning is. You run some gassers or some hills or whatever. And that's all you do for the end of practice. And that's your conditioning. And that was really my experience. So, you know, I'd like to say I had this grand scheme that I was going to become the sought after conditioning coach. But the reality is I just I had to learn because I started having these high level guys count on me. And I was very conscious of the fact that if they guessed out in the fight, who are they going to look at? Right. Me. It's not it's not a football game where you have 11 guys on each side of the ball and you have all these head coaches that you can hide behind if you don't do your job. Like no one really knows for the, most, no, the head coach of the team is the one responsible for their performance, not the strength and conditioning coach. But you know, I felt like if these guys went out in their in their competition and they failed and they gassed out, and you know, I, I was the one that was gonna be on the hook for that. It was my responsibility, especially because I was working with such a great MMA coach. So I just dove in, you know, I dove in head first, I learned everything I could possibly learn. I read every research study, I talked to everybody who was training combat athletes. I tried everything under the sun. I was using HRV technology back then so I could monitor and see what was happening. I learned more about HRV and recovery because of that. And I just kind of turned myself into a student of conditioning for for years. And, you know, fortunately, because I was training these very high level guys, I had real results to to gauge myself against, and I had real ways to track their progress with the data and the technology. So, you know, it was really just that journey over years and years of, of having to become an expert in this, because some of the best guys in the world were counting on me to do it, and I didn't want to be the one to let them down.
0: I think most great coaches kind of run into something like that you almost your problem becomes the problem you solve for so many people. Right. And that's really what creates a passion. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, and most people I think would echo, uh, most people who have a reputable career would echo what you said of, if you told me I was going to be doing this at one point, I probably would have laughed at you. Um, so I can relate to that, man. So what, let's dive into the, I mean, the nuts and bolts of this really for everybody. You know, you obviously have a huge history in MMA fighters and as fascinating as that is to me, because I've dabbled in MMA. Um, and I even have a similar story. It was funny when I was doing BJJ, uh, I felt like I had, you know, a few months under my belt, which is really nothing in that sport, but I felt good. And, uh, the instructor put me against somebody and told the guy he could only use his legs because I was new and, I was like, I'm going to, I'm finally going to have my chance. And he choked me out probably three or four times in a few minutes with just yeah, a blank it's, in hand.
1: It's, it's very humbling when you realize how little you actually know, or can do relative to what you thought you knew. I mean, yeah. that's just, it's just the way it goes. You start stepping up the ladder of, of talent and, and coaching the same thing. Like If you're not well rounded as a coach sooner or later, it's, it's going to get exposed and you're going to find out that the, you don't know as much as you thought you did. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so what, what is it about conditioning that everybody else needs to focus on? Obviously an MMA fighter needs to literally understand this because they need to be able to sustain a certain level of strength and power endurance throughout who knows how many rounds, right? How long they're going to be in the ring, but yeah. what about everybody else? What, what are the reasons like inside your certific- certification course and like what you're promoting in your book and all your content? Like, what are the reasons gen pop people, everyday trainers, these people need to understand why conditioning is so important?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it's an important question, but I'll say before we can even dig into that, we have to answer first, what is conditioning? Because I think that's one of the funny things about conditioning is there, you know, like, you know, when you see it, but there's not like this universal definition of what everyone thinks of as or defines conditioning. So you, we know what strength looks like, like we know what hypertrophy looks like, we know what speed looks like, and we know how to define those things. But if you ask 10 coaches to define conditioning, you probably get 10 different answers in some sense. So, you know, I've, I've gone over this in years, the, the, the biggest thing that I will say is the way that I approach conditioning is to understand it as the application of fitness. And what I mean by that is we can measure somebody's VO2 max, we can measure different energy system markers, You know, we can measure lactate threshold, we can measure all these physiological things around internally, what people are capable of from a you know metabolic standpoint, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go out and perform at 100% and win the competition. It's not just a competition of who has the highest VO2 max in the Tour de France, right? There's there's a lot more that goes into it than that. So the way I always describe it is we can break up two pieces. We can think of what we'd call fitness. And again, I would measure, I would say fitness is a marker of these different things physiologically. And you'll look at different things based on the sport. But you know, for combat athletes, we could say resting heart rate. We could look at HRV, we can look at uh, VO2 max and lactate threshold. We can look at all these physiological markers, but conditioning is how well they can apply those to their sport, to their actual sport, to their demands, to what they're trying to accomplish, to their goals. So it's, it's thinking about like this, I think is, I think of is, you know, you can have all the tools, like, let's say I want to build a house, you know, I can go buy a bunch of wood, and I can go buy hammers and nails, I can buy all the things I need to build a house. But do I know how to build a house? You know, right, just having the tools doesn't mean you actually know what to do with them, we can use them effectively. So if we look at that sense, you know, what is conditioning? Well, again, conditioning is the application of fitness towards a specific goal or a specific thing you're trying to accomplish. And obviously, combat athletes, are, are very specific in their sport and every other athlete is too. But the average person who just, you know, trains for a purpose, it's usually because they want to look better. They want to feel better. They want to live longer, all those things. So it's still the same thing. It's, it's applying the process of developing better fitness into the application that you want to achieve with that. Now. So that said, why is it important? Well, again, because it's, it's comes down to what your goal is. You have to be able to apply the skills that you develop in the gym into the real life of what you're trying to do with that no one's trying to train aside from weightlifters or you know powerlifters just for the sake of lifting weights they're trying to train because they want that strength or that you know metabolic work to translate into something better health longer life less injuries whatever the case may be so why is it important well because it's really the key of taking the work that you're putting in the gym and it into the outcome that you're trying to achieve that's how i would define conditioning and obviously that means it has importance regardless of what it is you're trying to achieve. It's 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 that connecting piece. It's
0: almost and, and I guess this is what I've always thought about this with more aerobic, but I would say this is kind of the same thing. It's almost like sustainability of whatever you're trying to accomplish, right? Like being able to, sure. cause even for a fighter, um, there's elements of it. And I think this is where it really fascinated me. And also got way more complex is when they're yep. trying to sustain, which is typically aerobic, right? They're sustaining something that is not aerobic or it's not sustainable for most people, especially normal human beings being mm-hmm. able to be explosive and powerful and fight. And, and even like from a mental acuity perspective in the ring, um, conditioning is being able to consistently do that but for everyday people it could be sustaining really anything that they're after no matter what that yeah it's,
1: it's it's essentially it's building your body in a way that's uh yeah it's resilient it's sustainable it's capable of doing what it is that you're asking it to do and achieving that so yeah the combat athlete they're trying to go out there, last three rounds or five rounds without getting you know knocked out or, or gassing out that's that's the goal they need to be able to use their skills and that's essentially what we're trying to develop as a strength conditioning coach is the ability for that athlete to step in the octagon in the ring or whatever from start to finish and execute their skills without fatigue. I mean, that's what it is. If we're talking about the average human being, like we, you know, our goal is to help them again, probably look and feel their best, re- you know, reduce the risk of, of cardiovascular disease and diabetes and cancer and all the things that are going to kill most people and just help them live that healthier, longer life. And those things all come back to developing the body in a very, specific way, which revolves around energy systems, which revolves around recovery and resilience, and which revolves around just building the body in the right way. So that is designed and can functionally do that, you know, whether it's again, live longer or perform better.
0: What before I want to get into aerobic versus like the different types of energy systems that you work and everything, but what, what do you tell people when they think they don't need this? And the reason I asked that is because there's a lot of people who just want to lift because And and I can even relate to that from a standpoint of difficulty. Conditioning is harder <laughs> for most of the time. Like it just,
1: <laughs> sure, it's more complicated not, as well.
0: Yeah, and when you're not good at it, it's mm-hmm. not always as fun. Like you're, you, it's something you need to really work at. Um, but there's a lot of people who think you can get away and get the same benefits from an energy system perspective, aerobic, cardiovascular, all that stuff from just resistance training and weightlifting. Um, do you think there's some truth to that, or do you feel like you still? there's still a big difference and in, in you really can't get those full adaptations unless you're doing actual conditioning.
1: Yeah, sure. Like, I mean, again, it comes down to what's the goal, right? Like what, what are you trying to achieve? If you just want to get big and strong. Like, okay. You know, if you want to, if you want to be a huge jack bodybuilder, like you probably don't need a ton of it. Um, but if you want to live longer and healthier life, you do. I mean, that's just what it comes down to and if you want to perform in any sport really you need a fair level of aerobic fitness because it's it's the cornerstone of our entire metabolic process in other words it's what's happening from the second we're born until the second we're dead knowing times we're anaerobic is when we can't produce enough energy aerobically to accomplish whatever it is we're doing in the moment so i always come back to there's some there's some really good research on, on different sports and different goals and they they surveyed uh, did a medicine, meta-analysis basically of different athletes and longevity and they looked at, you know, team sport athletes and, and high level strength athletes and, you know, physique athletes and endurance athletes. The, for the majority, majority of the time, the, the benefits from a lifespan health perspective and from just all around sport participation is fairly limited. It can increase your average lifespan by like a year or two. It's fairly minimal. The endurance athlete populations live anywhere from like seven to eight years longer than the average person, like 10% of your life is a significant amount. So you could, you know, why is that? Why does a higher level aerobic fitness let you live longer? Well, the answer is because the aerobic system is ultimately what our body uses to cope with the stress of everyday life. It's that simple. When we are under a lot of stress, it's the aerobic system that helps us mitigate against that. It's also the aerobic system that helps us recover from those high intensity workouts. So if your aerobic system is shit, it's going to take you longer to recover from your strength workouts. Now, it's not infinite. You can't like triple your recovery. If you you know, spend much time on the aerobic side, but the aerobic side is the key to life. It's the key to recovery. It's the key to longevity. So if you say, oh, I don't, I don't need that. Well, again, what do you, you know, what are you trying to do? You know, you're, you're, if you're just in the gym to lift weights, lift weights then fine. But for the most part, you're lifting weights because you're trying to accomplish something and that something's probably going to be accomplished more effectively. If you at least have a, a, you know, a modicum or a medium level of aerobic fitness, because it just makes everything work better since it's literally what runs our entire life.
0: One of the things that stood out to me when I read your book around that topic of of aerobic, even from like a recovery perspective, an insight for me because I typically trained a lot for hypertrophy and Mm -hmm. that's what I was after. And once upon a time, it was like cardio is not what you want to do if you're trying to get big at all. And then I read a lot of your work and I started learning more about how maybe this would help me recover better between reps, between sets, between sessions. And then all of a sudden I kind of started putting two together and I'm like, okay, well, this allow me to recover faster so I can do more volume. And most research shows volume is the key to growth. So maybe even in the realm of, like you said, I just want to lift just to lift and get big. Even then, is it still going to be applicable?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's just, it's just up to a point, right? There's always, there's always like, it'll improve your recovery up to a point. And beyond that point is it you know, there's diminishing returns. It comes down to how much do you want to spend time doing aerobic work? How much, you know, do you want to develop it to the point where it's going to really facilitate better recovery and then make sure you can maintain that. You don't need to have the endurance, you know, endurance of a marathon runner to recover faster and become a you know, physique athlete. That's pointless. You would take way too much training to do that, but you also don't want to have, you know, the aerobic fitness of someone who sits on the couch and watches Netflix 24 hours a day because your recovery is going to be shit. Then, you know, you want to develop enough recovery to make sure that you can handle higher train volumes but not more than that. So for the, you know, for the average person that's they're they're going to have to put in the work on the aerobic side. If they want to develop that, there's no way around it. So it, it's, you just have to understand one thing you don't ever recover anaerobically. You always recover aerobically. Your body is, again, it's always aerobic and the processes that drive recovery repair adaptation are always purely aerobic. You don't ever recover from an anaerobic standpoint. Like, you know, all the recovery process that happened from point A to point B, are driven by the aerobic system so if your aerobic system is shit everything happens slower if it's better it happens a bit faster and more efficiently so yeah you have to develop at least a reasonable level of aerobic conditioning to recover now can you develop that from a weightlifting standpoint not really the same extent no there, there's a difference in how the aerobic system's trained uh, by lifting heavy weights at higher blood pressures and higher intensities than by doing other types of work that are not you know heavy strength based and you know it's, it's a really simple a thought you know, experiment take an Olympic weightlifter and have them go run a marathon. Good luck, right? Like they lift weights all day long. If that developed aerobic system, they'd be in a reasonably good aerobic shape, but they're not, right? There's a reason they're not because strength work develops the cardiovascular system in a very specific way, and lower intensity development around the aerobic system develops it in a different way. So, I'm not saying weightlifting is bad, but weightlifting in and of itself is not going to really develop your aerobic fitness to much of any extent. And if you think so, check your resting heart rate. You know, the average person's. Resting heart rate in the morning is a really easy way for someone to gauge a very broad uh, understanding of aerobic fitness. So, you know, again, it's not a perfect science, but a reasonable level of aerobic fitness is probably in the upper fifties, resting heart in the morning for most people, maybe low sixties, you know, a good level is more like mid fifties, you know, and, and, a pretty high level for your average person would be low fifties. And if you wake up in the morning and you take your resting heart rate and it's in the upper sixties or seventies, well, you, congratulations, you're basically average. And if you look at most athletes that I've seen, they're just purely going to the gym three days a week, lifting weights. That's exactly where they're going to fall. You know, they, they don't really develop that much of aerobic potential from purely just lifting weights day in and day out. I, want, I really want to like take that and put it into application and, and help.
0: Because one question I always get is like, how many days should I lift? How many days should I do conditioning? And I think this is really helpful. Obviously it's specific to the person um, mm-hmm. in the sport, but for gen pop, but I, I think we probably should, answer the question of like aerobic versus anaerobic versus a lactic first, um, or the different energy systems that you focus on anyway. Um, which is actually another good question that you can get into as well. I read something that it's not even, uh, a lactic shouldn't be a term or something i
1: can't remember it was very recent when i just read this because yeah.
0: of, of the way the presence of lactate or something like that um, yeah so
1: you get like some really complicated semantics but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day i mean we, we can just break it down and we have three three basic pathways to create energy that's all you really need to understand the the first and the biggest way by far is the aerobic system right and aerobic it literally just means with oxygen so you know, our metabolism is designed to take the foods we eat and either store them or immediately use them for energy. And it does that with the presence of oxygen. That's the aerobic system. And again, the aerobic system is never off. It's it's on from the second you're born until the second you're not here anymore. And it's always working to keep us alive. You know, then we have two ways to create energy without oxygen, right? One of them can do it for a few seconds, very high power. You know, we call it the creatine phosphate or the alact, whatever you want to call it you know, it's producing very high levels of force and power for like five to 10 seconds at most before it starts to give out. Then we kind of have this intermediate system we could call the lactic or whatever you want to call it. But basically, it's taking uh, carbohydrates and glucose and sugars and breaking them down into producing energy for like 30 to 40 seconds, 20, 20 to 40 seconds, mostly, and then it starts to decline from there. And it produces much more power than the aerobic system, but much less power than the other short system I just talked about. So we have these kind of three graded ways to produce force and power, but there's a huge trade-off to producing higher force and powers. And that trade-off is how long you can do it for, right? I can't run a hundred meter sprint pace for a mile. Well, why not? Well, because I'm generating very high levels of power and the cost that power is fatigue. That's just what it comes down to. So all of our sports use, you know, some combination of those three energy systems, three energy pathways to one extent or another. If we're looking at shot put or, discus or like a high jump you know that's a very anaerobic sport and that's a very you know specific sport that's just a few seconds so the majority of that explosive period is coming from that very short alactic or creatine phosphate whatever you want to call it you know if we're looking at something like a 400 meter or 200 meter where you're talking you know 20 to 40 seconds of just maximum speed now we're getting into a lot more of the lactic system pretty much everything once you go on a minute is predominantly aerobic that's just how the body is designed you can't really go on for more than you know, 50 to 60 seconds with, uh, with majority of energy coming from the anaerobic side. You just gas out. There's, there's too much cost of fatigue to do that. So if we look at any sport or any performance that's longer than, say, 60 seconds, the aerobic system is playing the biggest majority of that. Because if it wasn't, you'd be on the on the ground. You wouldn't sustain it. So we just have to kind of look at that. The body's going to always produce as much energy as you can aerobically. And whatever it can't produce, it'll make up anaerobically. So if we take two athletes, uh, you know, let's say we have athlete A and we have athlete B. And athlete A is capable of running, you know, 10 miles an hour purely from the aerobic side. Athlete B is capable of running 12 miles an hour from the aerobic side. If I have them both run 12 miles an hour, who's going to sustain it longer, right? Obviously, athlete B is going to sustain it longer because they're running it purely aerobically. Athlete A has to tap into the anaerobic side to make up that two mile per hour difference. And they're going to fatigue because the more energy you have to develop from the anaerobic side, the faster you will fatigue. That's just what it comes down to. It's that concept's called the anaerobic speed reserve or anaerobic power reserve, whatever you want to call it. Basically, it just says, you know, your body will always produce as much as it can aerobically when it can't make up the difference. Then it starts to drop off the anaerobic side. And again, the more that it has to do that, the faster it slows down because the anaerobic side is a lot of stress in the body uh, and it produces a lot of metabolic byproducts and other things that lead us to slow down. So that's just you know the big picture how it works. There's there's always a trade-off between endurance and speed power those things always uh, you know they conflict on some level again i can't build a 800 horsepower car and expect it to be fuel efficient that's right it's it's just a conflicting thing so it's the same thing in the body i can't produce massive levels of force and power anaerobically and expect to sustain that for rep after rep after rep after rep, after rep. like a max is only one rep and and that's just how the body's designed there's there's it can it can go both ends of the spectrum but again, as you trade off strength and power for endurance, you know, you're losing strength and power. That's how it works. Do you, I kind of want to selfishly ask this
0: question just because I want to hear your yeah. thoughts on it, but with concurrent training, like, have you mm-hmm. always been a believer in that being, cause even what you're saying right now, it sounds like everything kind of transfers over, right? It's like, well, you're going to be a better athlete if we work on a little bit of, of all, at least the two, if not all three of those energy systems and pathways. Um, have you always been a proponent of concurrent training? Cause for a long time, it was a very, um, it just seemed like it was not the right answer, right? They just talked about how you, specificity is a scientific strength principle. You got to do specifically what you want and that's what you should majority of your training should be, which I still think there has application to that. And then CrossFit came out and that was when my mind really started kind of being more open to different ideas because they were just these freakish athletes who were jacked and really strong and also could run a really far distance and they could Olympic lift. I would, you know, or do assault bike intervals for a minute straight at a crazy heart rate. Um, so their threshold for this stuff was just nuts. But, um, and although I don't do CrossFit or work with a lot of CrossFitters, it just fascinated me. And I started really kind of buying into like, okay, maybe we can, uh, not, it's not going to make you a jack of all trades, master of none, right? You actually can be a pretty, pretty strong and stable concurrent athlete. Have you always thought that? And now you're just seeing it like happen more and more with the
1: athletes and the sports and the science that's coming out. Uh, I mean, I don't know that I would say that. Honestly. I don't say that again, I think, I think we have to figure out what someone's limiting factors are. So if someone is very strong anaerobically they're probably not as strong aerobically so we need to figure out is is the aerobic side the limiting factor that's keeping them from performing longer or vice versa is someone so far shifted the aerobic side that they can go forever but they just don't have enough strength and power to compete in which case we want to develop more of the anaerobic side so i would say actually it really just comes down to the individual and when we're talking about energy systems it does come down to what does this person need to do to eliminate their limiting factors and be able to perform at a higher level so you really can't develop both sides the the you know, to the maximum, like, so you you can't have somebody who's purely anaerobic, also have great endurance. So at some point, you do actually have to make that decision on what is going to make this person better. And at some point, you have to decide very clearly, you know, maybe we're gonna spend less time building their strength and power, because they're already really good at that. But their endurance is where they're lacking. And we're gonna really focus heavily on that, even if it costs them a little bit of strength and power. So, you know, CrossFit, and those sorts of sports, I would say they showed us um you know that you can develop a range of skill sets and you can develop a balance across the three energy systems fairly effectively um but you know those i would actually say CrossFit's still somewhat shifted towards the strength and power side i think they've made it more that way because nobody wants to watch a crossfit person go out and run you know an hour or or do something that's truly on the aerobic energy uh aerobic endurance spectrum it's it's still kind of this like heavy reps for, you know, a couple of minutes to moderate times sort of you know, five or maybe 10 minutes. It's, it's not really a pure aerobic thing any case. And most of them aren't pure anaerobic. It's not one rep maxes. It's kind of this middle ground. And so, yeah, you can get much better at that middle ground if you train it. Um, but if you take the, if you took the best crossfit in the world and you wouldn't have him run a marathon, he gets smashed. If you put him against the best anaerobic, you know, if put him up against the best powerless in the world, he gets smashed or she would, whoever was, you know, so there's, there is still that just underlying realization that you need to train for whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, and you, that's really the best way to get better at it is to understand what's required for that sport and where you're good and where you're not so good, and then develop a plan of attack to to fix that.
0: I think it was like a, a one of the CrossFit games recently, I think it was the year before last. They did like a 20k row or something as part of it. And It was like the most boring thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody wants <laughs> to see that. Yeah. You know? no. I mean,
1: CrossFit, as, as everyone says, you know, we don't have to go this down this road, but. You want to talk about CrossFit or you know, the CrossFit athletes are the most well-rounded. Like, okay, they they do some strength endurance stuff extremely well. It's impressive. I don't want to downplay the impressiveness of it. But again, they're not really doing a strength effort that's a max effort. They're not really doing a single effort of maximum power. And they're not really doing stuff that's pure endurance. Like most of what CrossFit is, 90% of it is what I would call like strength endurance. It's like, I'm going to produce a pretty good level of strength. And I'm going to maintain it for way longer than the average person could but it's not necessarily this huge, broad spectrum of energy systems. Cause again, you're not really getting pure endurance and you're not really getting pure strength and power. You're just taking that middle ground of pretty high level strength and power for again, a lot longer than I could do it for. But again, it's, it is a fairly narrow range. I would say, uh, compared to what people think of as CrossFit It's just like, they're good at everything. No, they're really, really good at strength endurance for the most part. Okay.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it, it even like, is, is just more proof to, you know, when, CrossFit wads were just available online and people were like, Oh, well, I'm doing this, the same workouts as Rich Froning. And it's like, no, well you're probably <laughs> not because he has somebody who's probably specifically looking at his week. Point, oh yeah. Just focusing yeah, on I mean,
1: anything. I've, I've looked at lots of train plans at this point of really high level CrossFitters. Uh, you know, it's not my specialty per se, but I've definitely had quite a bit of contact. none of them train with kind of the CrossFit philosophy. I mean, they're all using very good highly thought out program and periodization models. And a lot of the best coaches, you know, from James Fitzgerald's to, you know, these sorts that have been in the game forever, like they're not just doing wads for God's sakes. Like they're actually periodized, you know, the programming and they're focusing on specific areas. The athlete needs to improve and they're measuring, they're testing they're monitoring. I mean, they're taking a much more scientific approach than just like throw shit at the wall every day and train yourself hard. That's, I think that that model failed pretty early on. And then the athletes figured out like, Hey, we need to be more scientific about how we approach CrossFit. So it's, it's kind of ironic that, you know, the kind of the CrossFit philosophy of training is not really what, the best CrossFit athletes are are doing. They're not even by a long shot, really. Yeah. Hey, guys. I want to take a quick second to shout out the sponsor
0: of this podcast, which is myself. It's my own app, The Tailored Trainer, which is the simple solution to actually looking like you lift. My goal with The Tailored Trainer was to do just that. I had... Countless amount of people coming into our coaching to f- get nutrition guidance from us and they needed training help as well. And I was tired of hearing people tell me, I don't look like I lift. I'm in the gym hours every week. I'm training hard. I'm pushing myself, I'm sweating my ass off, but I don't look like I work out. What is the deal? And the deal is simple. There isn't a periodized plan backing up the effort they are putting in the gym. They don't have progressive overload methods and metrics and measurements inside their programming that are gonna guide them to the result they're after, which is why I wanted to create an app that did that for you. Not only does it have actually systemized programs that are effective for your goal, for your schedule, for your body type, and for your experience because there are tons of programs in there. That's why it's called the tailored trainer because you can literally tailor your training to your lifestyle and your schedule and your experience level, but it's also going to have the software and the metrics inside to make sure that it's progressive and periodized without you even realizing it. You don't have to do anything, and it is programmed properly to get you to progress, which is why I always tell people, stop aimlessly working out using influencers' Instagram posts and YouTube videos as your plan. Start actually tailoring the training process to you, and you can do that by downloading this app. It's less than $1 a day. And you can head over to tailoredtrainer.net to read more about it, see screenshots of the app live itself, see reviews from some of the people using it, and see a personal letter from myself as to why I created this app in the first place. So once again, head over to tailoredtrainer.net. Now, let's get back into the podcast. Okay, so, so we know now what the different systems are and everything, um, and, and, and I could go on a tangent about the whole CrossFit space thing with you, because yeah. I, I agree with that a lot, and I think it's an interesting topic, but applying this, so looking at what's most important for the everyday person, like we, we you know, for, for example, my company and the people we work with and people listen to this podcast, a lot of them have multifaceted goals. They're, I, I call them advanced gen pop. They're not the people who have never been in the gym or just want to loot, you know, very rarely, we do get the new listeners and everything, but a lot of them are like, they've been trying this. They've been working out for a few years. They're, they're really trying to dial things in, get more specific and they don't want to just get lean. They want to get strong. They want to be fit. Like you were talking about earlier, being able to actually do impressive fit people, things, not just the part, right. Um, what's the most important type of conditioning, how much conditioning, like I know these, they're not black and white answers, but giving some kind of like broad brush, general advice and application points for programming essentially, because a lot of people, they have it locked sure. down for like upper lower split or like, you know what I mean? Like they full body three day, all that. But how do we implement yep. conditioning? Do we do it on the same days? Do we do it between like, what's that look? Yeah,
1: like? I mean, it, it really depends on again, kind of the the overall structure, I would say the biggest thing is you can improve everything, right? You can improve strength, power, endurance up to a point and And then it becomes a lot harder to improve them, right? If someone gets off the couch, I can make their their fitness better by just moving and doing basic shit for a little while. And then they get a lot better and then it takes more structure than that. So it's the same thing with conditioning. Like you can improve your conditioning by just doing anything conditioning related for a little while, but sooner or later, it takes a much more structured approach. And and we have to look at what does that look like? Well, for most part, I would say that your average human being can do some higher intensity conditioning work about twice a week. You you really can't do what I would consider real high intensity. And by, by that, I would say, you know, hitting 90% your heart rate or, or above. If you're, if you're going above 90% heart rate, it's pretty high up there. Like you're pretty high intensity. You really don't want to do that more than a couple of days a week at most. And if you're first starting out, you probably don't need to do it more than one day a week. You know, the rest of the time you need to be doing some lower intensity stuff at a bit higher volumes. Now you don't have to go out and be, you know, putting two hours, uh, at a workout on the road and doing over those low, slow, boring stuff for two hours. But you do need to be doing, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes a couple of times a week for a while, and then you can gradually build up from there. So, you know, kind of how that fits into your strength program depends on what your strength program looks like and where your priorities are. If, if I'm first training someone who, again, who's just kind of getting back into the swing of things like, yeah, I'll put conditioning and strength, in the same workout, I'll train them together three, four days a week and everything will improve. It's easy. Once I get to a certain point, then again, I, I always want to pick what is the thing that we want to improve the most? And I'm going to put more of my effort on that thing. And less of my effort onto everything else. Because we just have to understand the body's ability to adapt to stress is limited by energy. And what I mean by this is an important concept, a lot of people don't know, but your your body can basically only produce a finite amount of energy in a given day, right? I mean, it's it's like you're in a factory and you've got 10 workers. Like, I don't care how many hours you work them, like there's only so much work they can get done. And it's really the same thing with your metabolism. Your your body can only generate a, a finite amount of energy each day. And that energy has to do everything from keeping us to alive, to repairing tissues to make them bigger, stronger, more resilient and all that sort of stuff as far as fitness is concerned. And that number tends to be about two and a half times our, 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 uh, basal metabolic rate. So if it takes, let's say a thousand calories for all of our organs to just stay alive and for us to, to function as human beings, then our metabolism probably is going to tap out at around 2,500 calories a day. That's just the most it can produce. It can't produce more than that because it's limited and, and it takes time and it takes energy just to produce energy. So the point being, we, we don't have this like unending reserve of energy to tap into to repair everything and to remodel everything all the time. We wanna place our body under a very type of specific type of stress to accomplish whatever we're trying to accomplish. And then we need to give it time to recover. And if we're trying to stress every system all the time, the exact same, it gets spread out too far and those systems don't actually improve. So again, you can do it for a point because it doesn't doesn't take much stress to cause the average beginner to improve. But when I get to the point where someone's like, you know, they're reasonably fit, you know, they can lift a reasonable amount of weights train three four days a week. And, you know, we want to improve something, then I'm going to make my choice about what that something is. I'm going to focus on that for, you know, four, six, eight weeks, whatever it takes to get an improvement there. I'm going to put everything else in maintenance mode. So the reason I come back to that is if someone says, hey, my conditioning sucks, you know, my strength isn't bad, but my conditioning sucks, right? I'm going to train them to improve their conditioning. And I'm just trying to really maintain that strength. I'm not trying to set new PRs and strength because if I was trying to put so much emphasis on PR and strength, I take a lot of recovery away from the, the, the aerobic side or the fitness side. I'm trying to develop from a conditioning perspective. And vice versa, if someone's like, eh, hey, my conditioning's not too bad, you know, we look at their numbers, yeah, it's pretty good, but they need to get stronger or bigger or whatever. Well, great. Let's put your, your conditioning in maintenance mode and let's get you stronger or bigger or whatever you're trying to do. So it's, it's hard to give you just a blanket, like, Hey, always do this. Cause there's, there's a lot of variables there. Um, you know, but in general, you have to train. If your, if your goal is to improve conditioning, you generally speaking, have to be doing some form of it, four to six days a week. It's not quite as easy to maintain or develop as quickly as strength with, you know, two, three days a week. Like you can take someone and do three total body lifts or two total body lifts, whatever. And you can at least maintain, if not improve strength for a lot of people, you can't really do that on the aerobic side of condition. You can't take somebody twice a week and see very much improvement from a conditioning side for very long. It t- takes more frequency. Uh, the aerobic system just needs more constant stimulation. So generally speaking, you know, I'm, I'm going to put some form of conditioning in someone's program four to six days a week. And for most part, like I said, it could be two days of higher intensity, and it would be four days of lower, more moderate intensities. And exactly what that looks like, again, depends on who you're talking about, but that's kind of your generic blueprint of how I'm going to improve someone's conditioning. And then I'm going to look at that and say, okay, I've got These two days are my high intensity aerobic, you know, conditioning days, and these other four days are lower intensities. Then I'm going to figure out where my strength work fit in. I'm typically, for the most part, going to put the higher intensity, heavier strength work actually on the higher intensity conditioning days, which most people might not understand, but it's because I don't want to spread out intensity, high intensity across four or five days a week. Like I don't want to have Monday and Wednesday is high intensity conditioning, Tuesday and Thursday is high intensity lifting. Like now I've just overloaded somebody with four days. I'm not gonna give them a very good chance to recover from that. So I'd rather spend, okay, Tuesdays and Thursdays are higher intensity days. We're gonna do some higher intensity uh, conditioning and we're gonna do some higher intensity lifting. And then we're gonna switch everything else to lower intensity, maybe upper body work, accessory work and recovery level conditioning the rest of the days of the week. So I allow my body to recover from those training sessions. And that's how I look at the big picture of programming is I wanna train somebody. I wanna allow them to recover from that training. And then I wanna repeat that over and over again. But if I'm spreading out, spreading out high intensity four or five days a week, where the hell is the recovery happening? It's not like you're just giving yourself two days in the weekend to recover from the five days a week you did previously. That shit doesn't work for very long. The body does not recover that quickly, especially when you've overloaded it five days in a row. So when I book at programs, you know, I tend to look at that process of, okay, I'm going I'm to overload them in these days. And then I'm going to facilitate recovery in these days. And I'm just going to repeat that over and over and over again. So it's kind of a long-winded answer because it's, it's hard to just say, here, do this for conditioning. Um, but that's just my general thought process as I, as I approach it.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And I uh, I actually loved hearing that at the end because I've often programmed that way and recommended people um, split it up throughout the week that way for stress and recovery purposes. So it's always great when the conditioning expert yeah. is, is the same thing, but um, okay, a couple follow-up questions on that and it might be overly simplistic thinking, but um, that's okay. Like, Number one, do you typically for these, this average person we're talking about, you're probably going to be more focused on making sure they get the aerobic work in because, and this is the oversimplistic part. If I do a heavy back squat for three to six reps and I look at like my heart rate and I wouldn't know because I haven't tracked my heart rate doing this in a long time, but I'm, have a heavy ass bar on my back. I'm doing full range of motion squats for 10 to 30 seconds. Realistically, my heart rate goes through the roof and then I'm going to rest a solid three to five minutes before I load it up and do it again. If I look at that from a heart rate perspective and just like an interval perspective, it's kind of similar to high intensity intervals. Now, does that make you less focused on this anaerobic type of conditioning Mm -hmm. because people are doing it? Or is that just too simplistic and it's still very different?
1: Does it make me less focused on the the anaerobic side or the aerobic side? Anaerobic side. Yeah, I mean, look, anything strength, heavy, power, speed, heavy, no matter what your heart rate looks like, it's it's anaerobic, right? So we, we just have to understand that the differences between lifting weights and doing something that's, you know, not lifting weights, it's more aerobic based, the biggest difference is when I'm lifting heavy weights, I am activating as many muscle fibers as I need to lift that weight. And I'm driving my blood pressure up extremely high because my blood pressure has to basically support uh, the resistance that's happening as all my muscles are contracting at once. Then when I stop that, you know, all those things are going to come back down but really it's a very different process than sprinting up to a max heart rate. I, I'm not lifting a ton of heavy weight. My blood pressure is not shooting up quite the same. And then when I'm, when I'm slowing down, it's my heart rate's coming down because I'm slowing down, not because I took the weight off my back. So they're, they're fairly different things to lift weights versus to do even, you know, aerobic or anaerobic non-weightlifting conditioning. So I generally speaking, I don't say like, Oh, well, this is, I've lifted weights so and I don't have to do anything from an anaerobic. Con- they're, they're different, I guess, to the bottom line. So I, I tend to look at lifting weights as how we get bigger and stronger and develop more explosive power, and you know the conditioning side we're going to develop from conditioning actual exercises, not just weightlifting. Got it.
0: And with aerobic work, this is my follow my second question. You mentioned a higher frequency to make sure we're actually seeing significant mm-hmm. enough adaptations, right? Compared to anaerobic, um, what about maintenance? You know, is that because and the reason I asked that is because somebody might be listening. They're like, okay, well, I don't care about being a an aerobic like competitive athlete, but I do want to improve that world. Do I have to do four to six days forever? If I love lifting more, is it something like you go through a phase to improve that and then maintenance of that is is dropped
1: down from a frequency? I mean, I I mean, unfortunately maintenance is still probably four days a week. Like that's again, it's it's what level you're maintaining. Like obviously it takes more work to maintain a higher level of fitness than it does to maintain a lower level of fitness. For your for your average person, you know, I would say three to four days a week is probably about a minimum. But that's also, I would just argue probably about what you want to optimize recovery anyway. So a lot of times I have people do recovery work and it's, it is aerobic. So I do recovery workouts. You know, we go in the gym, we do some good breathing warm ups. We go to some mobility. We do 15, 20 minutes of aerobic work can do some heavy CNS work for a few reps and then, you know, stretch and cool down and call it a day. You're getting in aerobic work, quote unquote, but it's under the context of driving recovery as much as anything else. So you you want to be doing this kind of work anyway, because again, you want to drive recovery. You want to improve the ability of the body to handle stress. So, you know, again, if someone just says, I want to lift weights four days a week. Okay. That's fine. You can do that. But again, you're probably slowing down your recovery a bit because your aerobic system's not getting any stimulus the way that it, it could or should be. You're probably not getting any real health benefits aside from just the strength side of things. You could be gaining with a little bit of extra aerobic work and you're just not going to be very well-rounded. You're more likely to get injured if you're just extremely narrowly focused and that lift weights every day and do nothing else. So, you know, I just if you're an average person, you know, I, I would very rarely say, Hey, here's my, here's this average person who really wants to look great and feel good. Like lifting weights. Very rarely would I say, awesome. Go lift weights 40 days a week and do nothing else. Like that's just not a very well-rounded program for being a human being these days. That's going to live, you know, live longer and be healthier and maintain uh training without being injured and everything else. Like I'm still going to include rubric work just because it's beneficial for them regardless of anything else. Got it.
0: Is there, is there, and this is my last question before we get into like heart rate stuff. Cause I, it's funny cause it's, And I kind of knew this going into this, but as we're talking, I just realized how many ways you can go. There's just such an in-depth topic that I don't think people understand how in-depth it is. You know, and it's not my specialty and it's something I understand more than most people because I'm a trainer, but it's still such a complex topic. Um, Program, even programming lifting is, maybe this is biased, but it's way easier in my opinion. It is. Uh, is. I mean,
1: look, here's, let me put it this way. Actually, I would say this programming, only one thing. Is always way easier, right? If I said, I'm only going to develop your conditioning, I'm never going to lift weights. Yeah, that'd be fairly easy. It's it's always the question of putting all the pieces together that makes things more challenging because it's always about, well, how do I prioritize this? Well, how do I maintain this? What's the order of this? What day should I do this versus that? Programming just becomes more complex when you're trying to develop more things. It's like MMA. Like it's much easier to become a very good boxer if you're just a boxer than if you're having to learn kickboxing boxing, grappling, wrestling, all these other parts of MMA. That's why it's more difficult to become, you know, an MMA fighter in some senses than a boxer because you're having to learn so many different skills. That's the same thing with programming. Programming is just more complicated. You throw more shit at the wall and have to figure out how to put it all together in a way that works.
0: So is there a threshold with this, basically what I'm getting at? When we're, we're looking for maximum adaptations or just maximum health benefits or anything like that, is it kind of like, yeah. Hey, yeah. Like some is great, but realistically you need to be doing at least 40 minutes per session at a blank heart rate to actually see some of these things. Or is it, is it more broad than that?
1: Um, I mean, I'd say it's a spectrum of benefits, right? So uh, getting up and walking, you know, provides some benefits, circulation, it's blood flow, it's moving. It's going to do something for you more than sitting, uh, you know, going for 15 or 20 minutes at 120, 103 beats is going to provide you some level of benefit. Cause again, it's, it's more blood flow. It's more aerobic function. Um, but yeah, at, at some point you, you, you spending, I would, I would say probably from a aerobic, you know, fitness standpoint, you know, 20, 30 minutes is probably a good bottom end of that, you know, and obviously this guy's the limit for endurance athlete, but your average person, you know, 30 to 40 minutes is probably a good range of, you know, what's going to be a good amount to accomplish something in the lower intensities. Now, as we go higher intensity, we need less of it, right? 20 minutes of high intensity intervals training can be more than enough, you know, but again, we can't do that every single day because if we sit there and smash ourselves with high intensity every single day we'll pay the price for that as well so there's just there's just kind of always this again there's this balance between hey if I go lower intensity I have to do more of it if I go higher intensity I can do less of it but it doesn't mean just we'll do higher intensity every single day you, you still need both so you know I would say on your lower intensity days you know shoot for 30 to 40 minutes where, where you can on your high intensity days you know it could be 15 20 minutes it doesn't have to be a huge amount of that that's why we use higher intensity is you need less of it it's effective in those doses. So just from a broad standpoint, you know, there's a range, but again, I'd say those are kind of your, your baselines.
0: Okay. So where does this all fit into your, uh, I want to bring, you know, what you're doing with your app and with your certifications and all that stuff into this. Cause I think this is like where, when we start talking about implementing programming, heart rate variability, where your heart rate should be at, you know, this is where it starts to get really complex. And I think people listening up into this point, it gets it. and, And I understand why it gets to a point where you kind of go, okay, like, Still, I understand a lot of it. What the fuck do I do? You know what I mean? And I think part of it for people listening is I don't think you're going to listen to one podcast and really understand what to do. Uh, so, and obviously most people know that because they listen to so many podcasts of ours, but, um, the one thing i can recommend is obviously joel's books i've read it more than once and it does give you a lot of application but i know you have a lot of stuff that actually helps people put this into play so i'd love for you to yep. just pitch away man and actually explain what the point of those things are how they work how the heart rate monitoring system works the hrv how it tracks biofeedback and all these kind of things so people can uh, have some takeaways and then go check it out
1: yeah yeah let me try to simplify all that down as much as i can so like, like i said the, the first thing we have is, is resources for coaches uh, you know, I have a certification course it's about like 80 to 100 videos. It really just goes incredibly in depth into the conditioning side. So I would say, first and foremost, if you're a coach and you feel like conditioning is something you need to learn more about, you're not kind of sure where to start and you don't want to spend hours and years digging in textbooks and trying it out like I did, you want to just get to the system of everything I put together, you know, the conditioning certification is the place to go. And that's really going to cover all your bases, you know, for the average person who just wants to figure out, okay, how do I put together these pieces and how do I, uh, you know, improve my fitness in a way that's meaningful and hard to retrain all that. You know, that's where we have an app called Morpheus. And essentially I built that for that purpose specifically. So what Morpheus does, it takes in data from your wearables, so Apple Watch, Fitbit, Garmin, Polar, you know whatever whatever wearables people are using, and it allows them to track their activity and their sleep in Morpheus, but then more than that, we add in the HIV piece from our own device, and then we give you a recovery score every day. Now that recovery score, again, it's going to help you understand this process of train the body and then allow the body to recover and train the body and allow the body to recover. That model works. If you are able to track your recovery, if you're not tracking your recovery, it's really hard to know whether or not you've recovered, right? You're just kind of guessing. So this, the second thing it does is it gives you specific heart rates each day. So we give you a, a low intensity zone. We call your blue zone, which is your recovery, a moderate intensity zone, which is your green and your conditioning zone. And then we give you a high intensity zone, which is your red zone or your overload zone. So once you have that, it's fairly easy to plan out the big picture of how you're going to train. And the the way that I do that, again, I I call it the train, recover, repeat model. And I break training days into three categories. I have a blue day, right? Which is your low intensity recovery accessory type work. I have a green day, which is your moderate intensity, you know, uh, upper body lifting, like not your max effort lifting, but your moderate intensity work along with your moderate intensity conditioning in the green and then your high intensity max effort days, which is your red days. And that's again where you're lifting heavy, you're lifting really hard, you're doing explosive power, you're training high heart rates, you're going to your red zone, Morpheus, all that sort of stuff. So I like people to just understand each type of training day in their week has a purpose, right? The blue zones can develop some base aerobic function and facilitate recovery. The green days, enough intensity to develop conditioning and help you get in some of your upper body, less intensive lifting and areas to benefit on that side. And then your red days are your max intensity, whether it's max intensity lifting or max intensity conditioning or some combination of both. So when we look at program building, I look at most people's programs. and I say, okay, here, here's how I'm going to structure this week. I'm going to have one red day for your average person. I'm going to have two green days and I'm going to have three blue days. This just, I call the one, two, three model. It's really that simple for most people. That's all they're going to need is one really true high intensity day. They're gonna need two moderate intensity and probably three days of lower intensity. And maybe they take a day off instead of doing one of those days. But that framework works incredibly well. For somebody who's at a reasonably higher level of fitness, then I call the two, two, two. That's two days of moderate green, two days of red and two days of blue. And then I tend to structure those those weeks in a way where again, they're training and then they're recovering. So for example, if I do a green workout and then a red workout, I'm gonna follow it up with a recovery workout or a day off. And then I repeat that process, another green day, another red day, another recovery day, and then a day off. So I kind of have this repeating cycle of load the body with a green or red workout and then allow it to recovery with a blue workout or day off. And so I just look at this process of building workouts in that structure. And so then you say, okay, what do I do in those days? Well, again, it depends on what your goals are. If your goal is to gain strength, then my red days are obviously much more heavy lifting. If my goals are to improve my aerobic conditioning, then the red days are going to be more on the conditioning side and just more on the strength maintenance side. So I'll fill in those days based on what it is I'm trying to accomplish. You know, if I'm, again, if I'm purely on the strength power side, the high intensity stuff is mostly strength power side. The lower intensity stuff is mostly aerobic recovery. If it's, Hey, no, i actually really want to improve my conditioning. Then my high intensity days, my red days are mostly high intensity conditioning and the other days are more strength maintenance. So it's kind of hard to visualize a, a kind of a you know a graph to show you the, the flow of that. But if you just think about this process, if I'm going to overload my body with a green and red day, and then I'm going to recover with a day off or a recovery day, and I repeat that process a couple of times a week, I'll be on the right track. And then I'm going to use Morpheus to do two things, to get my recovery, to make sure I'm hitting the right balance of that stress and recovery, and I'm going to use it for my heart rate zones to see that I'm actually in the right heart rate zones on those days. The other way I think I'm gonna do is I'm gonna track progress. So heart rate variability without getting too far in the weeds is a very good gauge of overall aerobic fitness and conditioning. I should be seeing my HRV go up on a weekly basis. If things are going the right direction, if they're not and HRV stuck, then I need to figure out why, but it's not that hard to figure out, you know, am I achieving the right level of progress by looking at those things on a weekly basis? And the same thing, I have people look back at weekly basis on their average recovery for most people. We like to see an average recovery score between like 80 and 83 percent. If your average recovery is around the 70s, you're you're doing too much, you know, you're not recovering fast enough or well enough, and you need to cut back to the stress in your life. If your average recovery score is in that 80 below 80 percent range, chances are you're gonna keep improving because you're allowing your body to recover well enough to see the get benefits of the work that you're putting in. So, kind of that big picture is look, we just we want to program our days around how hard we're gonna push ourselves around this blue, green, red system. And then we want to structure that, you know, depending on our goals. And then we just put it together by looking at, is it actually working? You know, if we're trying to improve strength, is our strength going up? If we're trying to improve conditioning, is our HRV going up? Those are very easy questions to ask on a weekly basis. Then you should see positive results if they are. And if they're, if they're not, then you figure out why. So, um, and then another the piece of that is too, because we can look at your sleep and your activity and everything else that can provide big clues as to why you're not improving. You know, if, if your HRV is just not going up, you feel like you're working your ass off it's probably because you're not getting enough sleep. You're not supporting yourself with good nutrition. You're too stressed out in the other areas of your life. So that's something we really didn't talk about, but you have to understand once you've done the work, the recovery is the limiting factor, right? So if you put in the work in the gym, but then afterwards you didn't get enough sleep, you were stressed out from work or life or whatever, and you ate like shit, your recovery becomes the reason you didn't get results. It, it was not because the workout wasn't what it needed to be. It was because everything else after that workout wasn't what it needed to be. And the energy wasn't driven into recovery. It was driven into dealing with the stress of whatever it is you were doing. And because you didn't get enough sleep, you didn't spend enough time in the anabolic state where your actual recovery is, is maximized. So again, we have to look at this bigger picture of, of life and stress and fitness and just understand that the gym is the one hour where we stimulate the ability to body to improve. And then the are 23 hours is where we find out that it happened or not. So again, that's a really another important part of why we track recovery. Because I've seen far too many people uh, all the time, you know, they, they do a workout and then, you know, they, they don't see gains over a while. And then they think, well, the problem is the workout, right? I need to change my workout. I need to go harder or I need to do these different exercises or I just, you know, I need to change the workout. The workout didn't work. Maybe the workout was great. Maybe what sucked was everything else. And, and that's unfortunately what happens a lot of time because in people's brains, it's this very linear thing like train hard, get result, train hard, get result. Okay, wait, result didn't happen. Okay, train harder, get result, train harder, get result that shit doesn't work. Like, you know, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I see people willing to put in the work. Like if you give somebody a workout and they buy into you, they're going to do the work. It, it, the work is, is often not the problem. It's everything else after the work period that causes them to fail or to not see the results they could have seen. Because getting your ass in the gym for an hour a day and train hard is, is not easy, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not that difficult to do three to four times a week. It's, the 23 hours a day of getting enough sleep, managing your stress of life, making sure your food is dialed in and all these other pieces that drive so much of the results that we see is where people stumble. Mm-hmm. So again, that's why you want to track things like HIV and recovery because it highlights that for a lot of people. When people are like, I didn't work out that hard. Why is my recovery shit today? Well, what else did you do? Oh, well, you know, it's five hours last night. I was working late. Well, no shit. That's why your recovery sucks. Not because your workout was hard or not hard, but because your life was hard and we just have to understand that your body will only recover to the level it's capable of recovering based on what you do in your everyday life. And that's where I think a lot of people's overall uh, philosophy or their approach to fitness fails is, again, they just equate training, result, training, result. They're, they're forgetting that, no, it's training, everything else, result, and that everything else is a huge piece of the puzzle because it's the 23 hours a day where your body decides whether or not it's going to invest energy into Making you bigger, stronger, leaner, or whatever, or it's going to invest that energy into just dealing with the stress of life that you're, you know, you're facing and the shitty sleep and everything else you're dealing with. So, um, from a big picture standpoint, you know, I think that is the biggest thing I would say is you want to plan your programs and manage your stress accordingly. But we always have to recognize you can't not train shitty recovery, just like you can't not train a bad diet. You know, those are those are big pieces of what limit people's results more so than intensity. And so, for the most part, when people start looking at recovery from that perspective and they start making program adjustments like you know what i'm i'm not saying you can't sleep five hours i'm just saying that if you do that and you put a high intensity session on top of it you're gonna dig yourself into your a deeper hole and be aware of that so you know we have to adjust our lifestyles as best we can to to promote recovery and then when we don't we have to adjust our workouts accordingly you know we have to recognize that there is a trade-off if i didn't sleep last night uh i probably shouldn't train the same intensities if i did it's just going to bury me in a bigger hole to come out of it. it's going to take me longer so Um, I know that was kind of a long rambling answer, but the, you know, the, the big pieces of that is just, you know, focus on this train recover, repeat model and understand that 23 hours a day is probably your limiting factor more than your ability to push yourself in the gym.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's perfect because we didn't really touch on stress as a whole, but I think it's wild how many people on paper we've push to do less and they've gotten more out of it because of that you know because Mm -hmm. they do they run themselves on the ground i think that was one big insight i had when we were testing out the Bioforce hrv years ago at uh, bigger ground was seeing some people who i didn't really feel like trained that hard having really shitty hrv scores and when we just tried to uncover like what's going on it was just a ton of work life stress shitty sleep and it was like very eye-opening you know Um, it is and that's the, one of the biggest powers of it is that a awareness of what they're actually doing. And, and I'm assuming, is it still, you wear a heart rate monitor at night and then it connects to like, this ordering whatever you wear and then it kind of accumulates all this data.
1: Yeah. So we, we pull in activity and sleep from, from aura Fitbit, you know, Garmin pull or anything like that. And then we have our own device. You measure HRV for a couple minutes a day. And then we have a chest strap that you use during the workout. So it's kind of a combination of things that so we can meet people where they're at. So like I said, if they're just using Apple watch, great. If they're using Uh, Fitbit and Polar and Ura and some combination, like we'll pull all that data in. But for the most part, we're trying to just make sense of that information by giving them a recovery score and then giving them heart rate zones and allowing them to track that progress over time. And then I'm developing um, some actual conditioning programs that people can use, uh, you know, that that take all the stuff we just talked about and lay it out into an actual program format using Morpheus or their other wearables to make sure that they are dialing things in correctly. So uh, that'll be out the first of uh, 2022, it's called Metamorphosis. It'll just help people again, put these pieces together. We just talked about improve their conditioning, maintain strength and everything else uh, based on all the stuff we've, we've covered. That's awesome. That was actually one of the things I was going to ask is if you plan on making it, there's actually
0: like programming to help them. Some people will be like, well, do I just lower my RPE or how does this look? You know? So that's really cool. Um, And for coaches listening, this is uh, obviously Joel, somebody you're going to want to follow for this. um, Because as he keeps releasing more stuff, there's a lot of applicable products and services and stuff that he is doing for coaches and that he's developing that we were talking about before we jumped on, um, that make it really helpful. Cause there's a lot of people that hear me talk about this, uh, all the time, but measuring clients, biofeedback, different types of biofeedback, depending on the individual. But if you're not managing these, these feedback points with your, your people that you're working with, you're not going to be able to manage stress and therefore recovery. And therefore the results and adaptations like Joel's talking about. Um, and, and what this does is essentially give you a no bullshit answer to it. Right. So instead of like crossing your fingers and hoping clients are being honest with you about how they feel, this is literally going to tell you. So I think it's going to be really, really helpful, um, for all the coaches listening as well. And, and the last thing I want to answer ask you, uh, just because I've just been curious why Morpheus, what was the the reasoning behind the name? Cause I know it used to be Bioforce yeah. biopsy and then I remember, yeah, I mean, and I, I
1: never knew. I, you know, I I wish I had like some like huge backstory that told that, but I was literally just kind of thinking about name for this new concept and, and somehow Morpheus popped off my head and I, I said to my girlfriend at the time, name, my wife said, I think it's going to be Morpheus. And she's like, what? Morpheus? Why the hell Morpheus? And I'm like, I don't know. It just kind of <laughs> felt right at the time. Like, It just kind of ins- was an inspiration of like, I just like the name and it kind of, uh, you know, it, it brings the mind like tech and and some sort of the matrix of kind of seeing yeah. through all the, the clutter. And like, it just kind of made sense to me at the time. So there, there was not like some super elaborate backstory other than this. I like the name and it, it seemed to fit with what I was trying to do. Um, but to your point, like I said, Morpheus started out as, a, as an app just for people to measure these different things and track it. And really what's evolving into and what I want to be is a coaching tool for you know coaches, trainers, gyms, teams to have a big picture view of all these different things. Because again, these what, what coaches don't realize because it's not their fault. They just haven't seen it. Um, but something I realized on very early on because I measured HRV in 2000, you know, for, for the last 20 years. And you just see it over and over and over and over again. Your workout is, is just one piece of that puzzle, whether or not it has the effects you want it to, is 90% in the hands of the client. And when they walk out that door, you've got two approaches. You can either like hold them accountable and look at their data and, and try to really coach them or you can just pray to god they do the right things and see what happens and, and not really take any measurements or anything else. And unfortunately, you know a lot it's, it's easier to just not pay attention like oh I just work I, I write workout programs, I coach people in gym. Like that's what I'm good at. That's my domain. The problem is that's just a very limiting approach because again, the results that people are seeing are not just that they're everything else on top of that. And again, you could write a great workout. It could be, could be really well-written. It could make great sense at the time. It could have great exercise. You could coach it. You could get them enthusiastic. Like you can do everything right in the gym. And then someone goes home, slams a couple of beers at night, stays up all night, fights their wife or kids, whatever the hell stressed out of their minds. Nothing happened, but beneficial from that. Like all the positive work they just put in got sabotaged because they were stressed for the next 10-12 hours straight and they didn't eat well they didn't sleep and their body didn't recover from it and so nothing nothing happened beneficial as a result of that if you don't know those things are happening you just kind of keep your mouth shut and your mind closed off to what's happening out at the gym you're just missing like 90% of what fitness actually is because fitness is what happens in between the workouts I mean fitness is literally what happens in between workouts because that's where the changes occur so you know I was I was fortunate to be introduced to HRV so long ago And it really just kind of taught me from day one how important all that stuff was. And I was training Microsoft executives. I was training CL Seahawk cheerleaders. I was training Seahawks. I was training fighters. But it didn't matter who I was training. It was the same story over and over and over again. Someone's sleep, someone's stress level, someone's nutrition, uh, all these things were were what were allowing people to see results or or not. And I just became really good over time at adjusting their programs, holding them accountable to their lifestyle, and then putting those pieces together in a way that led to better results than just kind of. Shooting in the dark and hoping things work out for the best. I love it, man.
0: I think that's, I mean, that's a perfect way to, to wrap it up and, and honestly a perfect way to pitch it. And I'm glad that it is one of the main reasons of why I wanted you on here. Cause this is a topic that we have been using in not as sophisticated a way. And I do think Morpheus is perfect for that. Cause I thought of, I mean, in the matrix, Morpheus is literally like the teacher. He's the master. He's the one that and really knows yeah, exactly. what the fuck's going yeah, on. No. So I thought it was perfect. Um, I didn't want to say is it because of the matrix at all without it, hearing it from you first, but, uh, but no, man, I think it's perfect. Uh, uh we're going to wrap up here cause we're, we're crunching on an hour and it's been, I mean, we've put a lot of information in this and I think this is great. And I would highly recommend everybody listening. Um, go, I'll, I'll let you drop wherever you, they can find you soon. So you can, le- uh, they can learn more from you, but go to like iTunes or Spotify or whatever, and just type in his name. He's been interviewed on many podcasts and there's so many different podcasts. And this topic is so broad that, I've listened to you on at least a handful. And every single time I take away just like one little thing that helps me understand the whole big picture, just a little bit better. So for everybody listening, go type in Joel's name on iTunes or Spotify. You'll f- find a ton of interviews that he's done that will really help you. Um, his book has been around forever, but that's always going to be a favorite of mine. And then definitely check out Morpheus, but anywhere else they can find you. Can you just tell us where that is so they can go? Yeah, I
1: mean, just out? sure. Just, just eight weeks out. It's a core page. just number eight weeks out.com and then train with Morpheus. Uh, for the Morpheus side of things, Instagram slash Coach Joel Jameson, if you want to jump on IG. Uh, those are really the main places. You know, like I said, if you want to learn more about Morpheus, go to that side. If you want to learn more about just conditioning and big picture stuff, if you want to go to 8 Weeks Out, um, and you can find it. I've, I've actually never searched myself in those podcasts. I should probably do that. I can't remember half the ones I've been on over the years um, as well. But yeah, either one of those are great place to start. Something else I kind of forgot to mention that's really cool is... We started doing these these monthly recovery challenges with morpheus and what those do is essentially we look at your activity your sleep uh your workouts and all this sort of thing your, your average recovery scores your hrv and then we give you points basically for each of those things it's allow, it's basically it's a way to just make it fun and exciting you compete against other people on challenges over each month uh top 50 people win prizes we have a community around that to answer questions but we found a tremendous uh value in people just again Seeing more clearly about what they are doing or not, they're not doing because they're they're getting killed in the contest or they're doing really well. They, they, they tend to respond really well to some level of competition. So if you want to see how your recovery stacks up, you want to see, you know, how you're sleeping and how it's impacting your recovery. You want to have a chance to win some cool prizes. Uh, our monthly recovery challenges is a really good way to do that.
0: Gamifying anything is always a good idea.
1: It just it, can- Exactly. We had 850 people in our first one. So we definitely cool. got a good, a good, good response to it. People love it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, guys, go check all that out. I'll put all the links to that in the description. Um, And yeah, like anytime I hear somebody really respectful or or respectable or that i want to learn from on a podcast i always end up just searching their name and then i just see where else they've been and really start diving into it especially as i get prepared for podcasts like this but um thank you so much for to spend the time man it's been great i appreciate you coming on and sharing as much as you could within an hour because i know that's hard to do in this topic but um thank you for your time i'm gonna put all those links in description so everybody can check that out um and yeah hopefully we'll maybe bring you back on or do it live so we can dive even deeper because i know there's probably a lot more we can uncover
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be on and I'm I'm happy to come on anytime.